We live in a world with all the answers, or so we think. From friends to Google, someone or something has a solution for us. But what if we looked to the Word and trusted God through the trials? Well, today we will look at Joseph's story and how his interpretation of Pharaoh's dream teaches us the importance of trusting God's Word. Here's Chris. Welcome back. How are you guys? Yeah, hmm, we're going to take a coffee break. Everybody's going to go get some coffee. Glad that you're here. Um, Look, if you're back after Easter, you came last week and decided to come figure out what this was all about. I want to welcome you. Uh, We are in the book of Genesis. We've been in the book of Genesis for 37 weeks now, hard to believe. Uh, But just a little background as to how how we got to where we are and what we've learned along the way. You know, our world is kind of crazy. It's hard to know what's true. I hear people say that all the time. I don't even know what to believe anymore. Things are so disconnected from reality and truth and, and all of that. And we just decided, you know, in, in light of that, it would probably be a really good time to just root ourselves in what is really true. And, um, and, and to establish a foundation in that truth and to root ourselves to things that give us stability through unstable times. And, and so your origin story, who you, who you are, who God created you to be is an important one of those truths. And Genesis really starts there. God created us and he created us in his image. He created us to be in a relationship with him. And that's really important. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. But then we learned very early on in the story that that uh, we screwed it up human beings decided to rebel against God to, to go our own way we allowed sin into the world and then as we've read through the book of Genesis like half the book of Genesis is just the the de-evolution of mankind man separated from God equals chaos in society and that's what we've seen and then God shows up in the middle talks to this guy named Abraham and says look I have a rescue plan you're part of it you don't have any kids you will you're going to be a great nation and through you is going to come blessing and salvation for the whole world. And, and so we watched Abraham walk with God for a while, doing, doing well, not do, doing not so well, find a lot of hope in the fact that we don't have to be perfect, um, and I, I, at least I do. And, uh, and then Abraham has a son, Isaac. Isaac has a son, Jacob. Jacob has 12 sons. The 11th son, his name is Joseph. And we are in the life of Joseph at this point. We're in chapter 41 of Genesis. If you want to open there while I'm getting us set up, you can do that. I, in fact, I encourage you you to open up your Bible, either on your device or if you have a paper Bible and follow along. Um, anyway, this guy Joseph is an incredible story. In fact, he seems to do better than all of his ancestors as far as following God. And yet he's going through tremendous difficulty, tremendous suffering. He's certainly not perfect. And the last 25% of this book of Genesis is about Joseph's life. And quite frankly, one of my favorite parts of the Bible, I love the story of Joseph. And I love what we can learn from him. I love what God does in him and eventually does through him. And we're going to see some of that today. Um, Joseph, as a young man, it becomes apparent that he has this gift of having dreams that come from beyond, right? He, you ever wake up from one of those dreams and you're like, <gasps> that, that means something. Like, you know, like we have dreams because we had, you know, burritos the night before and we have one of those dreams, that's, that's not the same thing. And then you wake up from a dream and you're like, oh my gosh, that means something. Well, Joseph has those dreams. He also has the gift of interpreting those dreams. And so as a young man, he has several dreams that his family, he kind of becomes the ruler of his family. And he, he doesn't hesitate as a 17-year-old, full-of-himself young man to share those dreams with his brothers and his parents. And they're all like, really? Come on. And his brothers grow to, to, to not like him because he's kind of full of himself. And eventually, in a very dysfunctional move, they sell him into slavery. And he's taken to Egypt, where he is sold to a guy named Potiphar. In Potiphar's house, Joseph excels. He like he he's got this gift of leadership, and he excels uh, to the point that Potiphar promotes him to being in charge of the entire household. Well, eventually, Potiphar's wife 
tries to make the moves on him. He resists. He walks away. She accuses him of rape. Potiphar's like, my wife, the slave, slave's in jail. So he ends up in the dungeon for 10 years. He's in a dungeon in a foreign country. And as we went through that part of the story, Joseph, again, excels. He becomes promoted and promoted till he's in charge of the dungeon that he's, he's a prisoner in. Not in charge of it, but he's kind of the head prisoner. So he, he rises to the top as far as he can rise. And then after about 10 years, one day, the chief cupbearer, who's the guy that tastes everything to make sure that the fare is not being poisoned, and the chief baker, the guy who cooks all the food for the, the pharaoh and has a role in making sure the pharaoh is not poisoned, they both get thrown into jail because the best we can discern, somebody tried to, to poison the pharaoh and they threw him in the, in the same dungeon with Joseph until they could figure out what the heck was going on and who did what. Well, while they're there, they both have one of those dreams, right? This whole story is full of dreams. So, so they have one of those dreams. They both wake up in the morning. They're disturbed. Joseph walks in and goes, what's bugging you guys? He could, notices that something's wrong. And they're like, we had these dreams. We don't know. He's like, I can help you with that. And so he tells, they tell him the dreams. He tells them the interpretation. For the, the baker, he's like, you are going to be executed in three days. Bummer for you. To the cupbearer, he's like, you're going to be restored. You're going to be back in the courts of Pharaoh in three days. When you are, tell them about me because I didn't do any of the things they said that I did. And, he, and the cupbearer's like, yeah, you got it, right? So three days later, just as, as Joseph interpreted Baker's dead, the cupbearer's back in the courts of Pharaoh, everything's good, except that the cupbearer forgot to mention Joseph to the Pharaoh. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 41 of Genesis. How's that for a synopsis? In chapter 41 of Genesis, verse 1, this is what it says. When two full years had passed, so Joseph's been rotting in this dungeon for two years, Pharaoh had a dream. Dreams. Here we go. He was standing by the Nile when out of the river there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came out of the Nile and stood beside those on the river bank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke. This is one of those dreams that, you know, he woke up, he knew this meant something. It was bigger than just what he had for dinner last night. This was significant. It's a scary dream. Cows are not aquatic creatures. They don't come up out of the water and they're not carnivorous. They don't eat one another. This is terrifying. And it means something and it means something bad. And Pharaoh wakes up in the night and is like, <gasps> what could that? What could this possibly mean? And he, he, he struggles. You ever have one of those dreams where you can't go back to sleep, but eventually you fall back asleep, and that's what happens, and he has another dream. He fell asleep again, had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. <gasps> okay, it was just a dream. That was it. I don't know, you know, exactly why grain would be scary, but I think it's probably because he knows it means something. He just doesn't know what it means. In the morning, his mind was troubled. So he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Egypt is the center of culture, of technology. It was the, the longest standing empire at the time. Uh, Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world. He's got the best the world has to offer as far as wise men are concerned. He's also got like the mystic arts are big in their, in their culture. So he's got the sorcerers and wizards and, and you know, the people who practice the dark, dark arts. Think Harry Potter movie. Those guys are all there with their pointy hats and then you got the wise men over here. And he's like, what is this? What does this mean? He's the very best the world has to offer. And so he tells them his dream, or both dreams, and it's crickets. Nobody says anything. They've seen what he did to the baker, right? Not, nobody's going to open their mouth. They don't have an interpretation. They don't have anything for him. Crickets. 
This brings me to point one. If you want to take out your sermon notes, I encourage you to do so. Follow along, write some things down. God might speak to you this morning. This is what point number one is. The answers are found in the word, not the world. The best the world has to offer will not give you the answers you seek. The answers you seek are found in the word of God and in Jesus. Pharaoh's looking for his answer in the best that the world has to offer. The wise men, the experts. The experts, I don't know, if, if, if anything, we learned anything over the last five years, it's that the experts are usually wrong, right? And, and, he, and he's, also, he's also consulting with the spiritists, right? Because spirituality is, the, is where we look for answers. Spirituality does not have the answer you're looking for. Jesus does. Spirituality can go all kinds of very dark directions, but it's Jesus that has the answer. The world does not have the answer to life's problems. It does not. And you can seek the best the world has to offer. You're not going to find the answer that you're looking for that's going to bring peace to your heart. It's the Word that has the answer. You see, the Word of God, the Bible, is the instruction manual for life. God made our world, and he made you, and he designed you in a very specific way, and he knows how we work, right? He knows when we need oil changes. I'm just, I'm getting my, anyway. He, he knows when we, what, you know, what works and what doesn't as far as life is concerned, and so often it's counterintuitive, right? I mean, our world tells us, the experts tell us, that marriage is a 50-50 endeavor, Man, if, if, if the partners don't bring to the marriage that you bring your 50, you bring your 50, you complete one another, right? That's, that's the, the message our world has when it comes to marriage. That doesn't work. Two broken, empty people do not complete one another. They just multiply the op- emptiness and brokenness. No, what the Word tells us and what works every time is when you bring 110% and they bring 110% and you outserve, outlove, out-give, out-sacrifice, out-submit to one another, all of a sudden you've got a marriage the world looks at and goes, wow, I want that. That's the Word. See, the answers are found in the Word, not the world. The world doesn't have answers. The Word tells us what real manhood and womanhood looks like. The Word tells us how to raise kids in a way that works. Obviously, what's going on in our world is not working, and the best our world has to offer is broken at best. The Word tells us how to, how to work in a way that is fulfilling, even if we're working at something that we don't even want to be doing. God shows us how to work as unto Him and how to bring purpose that's bigger, that's way bigger than just the thing that you're doing. And it changes the dynamic of what you do and how you do it. The answers are found in the Word, not the world. You want guaranteed discontentment? Keep following the best the world has to offer. You know, if we look around and we see it's not working, and yet we think somehow it's going to work for us. You know, our world says, get more, 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 more. If you can just get more, if you can become rich, you'll be happy. Yet we look around at the wealthiest people in our world, and they are not the happiest people in our world. Everybody wants to be famous. Ask anybody under 18 years old, what do you want to do? Nine times out of 10, they want to be a social media influencer because they want to be famous because somehow fame is going to make you happy. Yet the famous people that we know in our world are not the happiest people in our world. Their marriages are unbelievably dysfunctional. It's not working out real well for them. Our world tells us that, you know, contentment and fulfillment are found in finding another person in your life, and we know that doesn't actually work either. Or the pursuit of pleasure will somehow make you happy, but the pursuit of pleasure for pleasure's sake doesn't make you happy. It grows very empty very quickly and usually leads to addiction. You will never, ever answer the empty in your heart by pursuing the best the world has to offer. Look around. It's not working for anybody else. The answer is found in the Word, not the world. Well, in verse 9, we have the cupbearer is watching all this go down, right? And he's pretty dim. Like, he's not, not, not the smartest guy 
in the, in the court, um, or something else is going on. I think it might be something else is going on. But he gets back three days later, right? So I want you to, to picture this. You are in prison. You think you might die. This guy interprets your dream. It goes down exactly like he said. You'd be telling everybody about it. You wouldn't believe this guy in prison. I told him, and he told my dream. He interpreted blah, blah, blah. Right? No, he forgot. He forgot. And so Joseph's sitting down in prison or in the dungeon, and he's waiting for, he's like, man, I'll give it a day or two. But after two years, I think Joseph's a little discouraged, and the cupbearers really dropped the ball. And after all this goes down, and the wizards and the wise men are, are unable to give him an answer, give the Pharaoh an answer, he's like, oh, wait a second. Now I know why that string's on my finger. He couldn't remember why he had that string on his finger. I was supposed to tell the, the Pharaoh about Joseph. So in verse 9, it says, Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, Today I'm reminded of my shortcomings. <laughs> Today I'm reminded that I'm a nimwit. I totally forgot. How do you forget? And here's what I think. I, don't, I, I mean, maybe he's dumb. I have no idea. But I think that this is God. I think God made sure that the cupbearer didn't remember, that Joseph spent another two years in prison. Because if Joseph had gotten out of prison two years before, he'd be back in the land of Canaan shepherding sheep. And God has bigger plans for Joseph than shepherding sheep. But his timing's going to be a little bit different. God's playing the long game. Now, can you imagine what Joseph has been through over the last two years? And here's what I know about this entire situation. It is pushing some of your buttons really hard. Like God left him in, in, in a dungeon for two years. He let him suffer for two years. That's, like, that's not merciful. That's not good. How could God do that? I mean, God wants, wants us to be happy, right? And it's pushing your buttons. The truth is, God wants us to be holy. And the, the pathway to contentment, peace, joy, and even happiness is through holiness. Not having everything in our life go our way. Not avoiding any and all suffering that we might encounter along the way. That's what we want, right? We, know, we would never choose suffering. We would never choose an extended period of time that we're really going through it. And yet God is up to something in Joseph, and God is timing out what he's going to do with Joseph. And God lets him sit. Now, I don't like this. I know you don't like it, but it's the truth. And if you live any amount of life, you know this is the truth. We go through hard things, don't we? Has anybody never gone through a hard thing? Has anybody ever had a hard thing last longer than you want it to? Yeah, nobody's raising their hands. I'm a little worried. But if this is true, there will be times in your life when you will be where you don't want to be for longer than you don't want to be there. But God wants you there for a reason. And that's where faith becomes really important. Because if you know that God's got you and he's bringing you someplace, and that he's good, you walk through that differently, and he accomplishes things he can't accomplish any other way in your life. Well, in verse 10, the, the, the cupbearer goes on to explain this story to Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh was once, he's referring to him as, as Pharaoh instead of George. He's like, George, you were once angry with his, your servants. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants, and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now, a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. So Joseph's down in this dungeon. He's been there for two years now. I mean, I, I would guess after the second week, he's starting to despair. He's, he's 
unbathed, unkempt, you know, he's, he's just kind of, he's rotting away in a dungeon and probably very discouraged at this point. And he hears the, you know, the soldiers coming down the corridor and they open the, open the door and they're like, you Joseph? Yeah. Pharaoh wants to see you. Pharaoh? The Pharaoh? Yeah, Pharaoh. He wants to see you. Come on. <laughs> but you stink. So we're going to wash you and we're going to shave you. Now, now they made him look like an Egyptian. Egyptians were a clean shaven people. The Hebrews had beards and hair and all that. So they, they get him presentable to the, to the Pharaoh Shave him down, wash him up, get him smelling good, teach him how to walk like an Egyptian. Um, <clears throat> that's not that funny, really. That's not it. So Pharaoh says to Joseph, I had a dream, and no one can interpret it, but I've heard it said that you, of you, that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. What a setup. This is awesome. Joseph, most powerful man in the world, right? Most famous man in the world, says of Joseph, I've heard of you. I understand you have gifts. There's some power behind you. I understand you're really, really talented. And Joseph, I want you to notice how Joseph answers, because this is the perfect opportunity for Joseph to go, that's right. And you know what? If you want an interpretation, I need, I need a couple things guaranteed on the front. I need my freedom. I need this. I need that. And Pharaoh's, you know, upset enough, he probably would have given it to him. But listen to how Joseph responds. I cannot do it. I cannot do it. He blows it. Not really, but it would seem like it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. I can't do it, but God can do it. I want you to notice what's changed in Joseph over the last 13 years. This arrogant punk kid who's going around going, you're going to bow down to me, brothers, mom, dad is no longer arrogant. He's learned one of the most important lessons that you can learn as a human being, and that's humility. It's not about him anymore. It's all about God. 13 years of suffering to get there, but he got there. So the Pharaoh's like, buddy, you've got gifts. You've got talents. You're great. No, not me, but I know a God who is. And it can do for you and give to you what you seek. You're not ready. Joseph, God's going to use Joseph in powerful ways, as we will see in the weeks ahead. But Joseph wasn't ready until now. And until he had walked through these things, he was not ready to lead until he learned this lesson. You know, the most dangerous person in the world is an extraordinarily gifted person like Joseph who lacks humility. Because extraordinarily gifted people get promoted to positions of power, and if they don't have humility, they will use that power in ungodly ways and hurt the people around them. Humility is a theme we find from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible that God applauds. And our human nature wants to make it all about us. It's the opposite of humility. Joseph has learned this lesson. You know, one of the things that, that I always say is never trust a leader who doesn't walk with a limp. You know, if they've not been through the fire, if they've not learned this lesson along the way, don't trust them. And we have a lot of leaders in our culture today who seem to have not learned this lesson. But it's so important. Brings me to point number two. Until you get over yourself, you're not ready. Until you get over yourself, you're not ready. Guys, everything on social media, everything in entertainment, everything in our culture tells us what? It's all about you. We are conditioned as a people to believe, either subconsciously or consciously, that it's all about us. It ain't about you. You got to get over yourself, and God can use you in great and powerful ways, if you will. 
But that's countercultural. That's the word, not the world. Until you get over yourself, you're not ready. Now, Joseph is taking a huge risk here telling the Pharaoh this because in their culture and country, the Pharaoh was considered a god. They had multiple gods, but Pharaoh was one of them. And so Joseph walks into the Pharaoh and goes, I know God. He can help you with what you're dealing with, but you're not God. Completely unafraid. And that's the other side of humility, right? When it's not about you and when you know that God's got you, there is a boldness and an unafraidness that you move in that you don't move in when it's all about you. You're trying to protect you and your little kingdom when it's all about you. But when you're over yourself, well, it's up to God anyway. You learn humility. He's unafraid, which brings me to point three. Trials can make you or break you. You decide. Trials can make you or break you. You get to decide. Here's what I know. Every one of us will go through difficult seasons of life. Every one of us will face things we don't want to face. Every one of us will face some seasons that last longer than we think we can endure. But that's life. That's reality. For Joseph, 13 years of injustice, slavery, prison, and persecution have made him better, not bitter. I mean, he could have gone one of two ways, right? He could, have, he could have walked with God, leaned into God, bloomed where he was planted and do the best that he can in the midst of some horrific circumstances and learn the lessons that God was teaching him in the midst of that. He could have done that or he could have walked away from God and said, I don't even want, you want an interpretation, you want God to help you with interpret. I don't even want to talk about God. He's dead to me, right? He could have gone either way. We get to decide. Joseph chose to draw, draw near to God and to experience God's presence in the midst of his suffering. You know, the same thing's true in marriage. You know, we go through hard times in a marriage. It can, it can either shatter the relationship or draw you closer together. You get to decide. You get to decide. I can almost guarantee, again, if you're married, that you will go through seasons that are difficult. It's part of the journey. You got to decide on the front end what you're going to do. Same thing as you go through this life. Jesus made very clear in John chapter 16, verse 33, that we will face hard times, they're coming. It's a part of living in the skin. It's a part of living on planet Earth. In this world, he said, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. After 13 years of walking through this struggle, Joseph says, I know God. I know God. You ain't him, but he will give you the answers you seek. See, Joseph learned it's all about God. It's not about him. He's learned unshakable faith in the midst of the struggle rather than bailing on his faith in the midst of the struggle. And I came up with this, this formula. This is the way my brain works. Nothing is as neat as a formula in, in life, but it's this. If we have trust or faith plus trials, right? We all face trials over time. So you kind of over time leads to unshakable faith. That's what we see in Joseph, and that's what you'll see in your own life as well if you lean into God. But it's that unshakable faith part. It's that context for what you're walking through part. At 17 years old, Joseph had skills, he had gifts, he had talents. At 30, after a very long struggle, Joseph has character. He's got character. God has formed something in him so profound and so deep that it, he is ready for what God has next. Giftedness, just because he was a gifted kid does not mean that he was spiritually mature or does, it does not mean that he had 
the, cred- or the uh, character to wield those gifts. Now he does. And now God can use him. So here's the deal. Whatever your trial, whatever you're walking through or will walk through, you have a choice. And if you're not in the midst of a trial right now, let me encourage you, make that choice and keep this perspective on the front end because just it, it's coming. You can draw near to God and hold on to your faith, or you can bail. Joseph realized, I'm a nobody, I got, and he got over himself. But God still walked with him every day in that dungeon, carried him through the hard time that he was living in, that was going on longer than he wanted it to. And now God is ready to use him. You know, a few years ago, several years ago, I was going through one of those seasons where I was just, I wasn't sure I was going to make it. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to be a pastor any longer. I was worn out. I was beat up. I was getting kicked on every side. And I was, and it was hard. And I had read these next two passages, I don't know how many times in my life. They never made sense to me. They never made any sense. I'm like, that's ridiculous. Whatever, Paul. (laughs) Whatever, James. Like, I don't get it. There are some things that you'll read in the Bible a hundred times, and then when you go through what they were going through, you're like, oh, that's so smart, you know? I mean, you just don't get it till you go through it. These are, these two verses or these two passages capture that exactly. And this is exactly what Joseph went through. In James 1, verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Does that sound insane to you? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Like, mm, all right, it's in the Bible, I'll go with it, but whatever. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. As I came through that season, I realized the wisdom of that passage in a way that I could have never realized beforehand. Trust me, it's true. You learn that you're stronger than you think, that God is stronger in you than you think. And so he's preparing you for what he has next. In Romans 5, Paul put it this way. He said, we also glory in our sufferings. Glory in our sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope, and hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given to us. I love that last part. The Holy Spirit is poured out into our hearts. He, he, as we go through those seasons, God is right there in us, with us, in the midst of our dungeons, walking with us through that. And there is a peace. There is a, there is a, there is a difference in the way that we navigate those hard times because we have the power of, and presence of God at work in our lives in the midst of them. But what he is up to is so significant in your life as you walk through those difficult times. That's what happened with Joseph. But here's the rub. Here's the rub. The God of our age, well, we've got a couple. Comfort's one of them. But the God of our age is happiness. We want to be happy. You ask any parent, what do you want for your kids? Nine times out of ten, I just want my kids to be happy. We are constantly pursuing happiness. Heck, it's written into our Declaration of Independence. We want to pursue happiness. Happiness has become a God. And here's the truth, Christians. We've bought into it. Maybe not consciously. We would never say that. That happiness is above God. I can't tell you how many conversations I have with people who are like, well, God wants me to be happy, and I'm not happy over here obeying God, so I'm just going to disobey God, and I'm justified because God wants me to be happy. How many marriages have broken up because God wants me to be happy, and well, I don't love him anymore, and I know, you know, when I said I do, he said, till life or till death do us part, but... You know, this violates the happiness principle, and so God's going to be okay with it. I 
And I mean, you can insert whatever disobedient road you want to go down. Thank God for grace, because we screw up all the time. We have to get past these, this happiness religion that we live in. I, I believe God wants us to be happy. Not all the time. Because he's working on our holiness too, and the pathway to holiness runs through suffering sometimes. It's not like, hey, I got to be happy 24 7 all the time. That's not even realistic. That's not life. Look around. But your happiness, your contentment, your peace, your joy, it's on the other side of suffering nine times out of 10. I've seen nine times out of 10 a lot. I'm sorry. I don't know why. It's, you know, as a pastor, you get in this rut. Today, nine times out of 10 is my rut. I apologize. Embrace the suffering. Rejoice in the suffering. And lean into God. And he will bring you through. And he's got plans for you. And he's getting you ready for him, just like he is for Joseph. But the cry of our heart in the midst of those times is, don't violate my happiness. We get offended. God's knocking off the rough edges, and it hurts, and it's hard, and I would never wish for it. I never do. And it always lasts longer than I want it to. But it is the pathway to holiness, which ultimately brings contentment and life. Joseph had one of two ways to go. He could get over himself and walk with God through the struggle, or he could pursue his own happiness. He walked with God. And because of that, he is ready for what comes next. Pharaoh tells him the dreams, and then in verse 25, it says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God, and notice that he continually points to God. God, God, God. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It's one in the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow then. Then the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it. Joseph's like, listen, you're not God, but this is what God says, and you can't do anything about it. But he does it in a way that he's not angry, he's not bitter. If anybody has a right to be angry and bitter, Joseph does, but he's not. He just lays it out, he's unafraid, and lays this wisdom out, this revelation knowledge out for the Pharaoh and basically says, well, you're not God, God's God, you're powerless, but here's what's coming, you might want to do something about it. And then Joseph shifts gears. Then Joseph kind of is like, now, if it were me, Mr. Pharaoh, he kind of sees the open door because the Pharaoh's like... And he's like, now, if it were me, I would do this. And we know that Joseph has this leadership gift. He's got the ability to organize people, see what needs to be done, get it together, put together a plan. And, you know, he was the head, he rose to the head slave, rose to the head uh, prisoner. You know, he just has that, that gifting. He's a leader. And what he tells the Pharaoh next is you need a leader to organize this thing. And so in verse 33, it says, and now, this is Joseph speaking, let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. 
and they should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. He says, look, Mr. Pharaoh, sir, you want to save your kingdom. You want to save your people. You want to be Pharaoh on the other side of this? Here's what I would do. We're going to raise taxes to 20%. Won't be so hard. Those are going to be bumper crop years. we got good times coming. For seven years, we're going to collect 20% of the harvest. We're going to store it away. Then when the famine comes, we got food, and we make it through the next seven years. Now, you're going to want to appoint some leaders. You want to keep this local, put leaders in all the different cities. We'll keep the food local. We'll manage it on a local level. It'll go great. You'll make it through to the other side. You're going to be a hero. This is what I would do. And he lays out a plan of salvation for his captors. Would you do that? Again, I mean, if anybody has a reason to be bitter and like the Joker and Batman, watch it burn. I'm going to sit back and watch this happen. Here's what's going to happen. That sucks to be you. He's like, no, here, if you want to fix this, you want to make it through, here's a plan of salvation for you. Here's a plan to keep your kingship, Mr. Pharaoh, sir. And he forgives and he lets go of the past 13 years. I think that's part of what he's learned over the last 13 years. He's not mad at them. He's not yelling at the Pharaoh. He's not manipulating. He's just like, hey, here's, here's what I would do. He shares his wisdom and probably some truth from God in the midst with it. And he shares it in a loving way, and in a way that the Pharaoh can hear. In verse 37, The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? That's profound. Clearly not. All the wizards, all the pointy hat people are like, we don't have an answer. The wise men, we don't have an answer. They didn't know. Joseph does. And not only does Joseph know what's coming because God gave him the power to interpret dreams, but Joseph brings this leadership gift to bear, and, and, and it's profound. And the Pharaoh is like, this guy's got God in him. God is with him. There's nobody like him around here. He's not even Egyptian, although he can walk like an Egyptian, right, Vicky? <clears throat> and the Pharaoh's a pagan ruler, but I'm telling you, When you're walking with the Spirit of God, people can see it, whether they believe or not. May this be so for every one of us, because as Christians, we have, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have His Spirit inside you. May we live the kind of humble life that displays it for the world to see, as Joseph's doing here. Well, then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. In other words, Joseph, you're number two. You're in charge. And actually, practically and functionally, you're making the calls. I'm going to hang out on the throne and enjoy the benefits. You run the show. You're in charge of the country. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. This was a good day for Joseph. He was in prison this morning. Right? I mean, it's like, it changed like that. Only God does that. And he was ready. It was time. He just had to wait for it. In verse 50, it says, Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Aseneth, daughter of Potiphera, the priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn son Manasseh and said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble in all my father's household. God has 
enabled me to forgive and forget. Manasseh means to forget, or it has a forgiveness connotation to it as well. And so I'm going to name this boy forgive and forget. I'm letting it go. The second son he named Ephraim and said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Ephraim means twice fruitful. And I really do believe Joseph ties these two concepts together in the names of his sons. The ability to forgive and forget does lead to fruitfulness, which is point number four. Forgiveness is the key to fruitfulness. Forgiveness is the key to fruitfulness. Joseph was able to do what God had prepared for him to do because he was able to forgive and let go. He wasn't walking around with a chip on his shoulder. He wasn't bitter. He wasn't consumed with that, burning all his mental energy on what they had done to him. He was able to step in and lead and accomplish what God had for him to do. Forgiveness is the key to fruitfulness. And the reality is the longer you hold on to your hurt, and I don't know what they've done to you. I don't know what they said about you. I don't know how they've abused you or hurt you or stabbed you in the back. But I know for so many of us, we're walking around with that reality. And your past is robbing you of your future because you haven't forgotten, you haven't forgiven. And the pain is stealing your joy. Next week is all about letting go. And so if you have to let go, if you have something that you haven't let go of, you need to be here next week. If you know somebody who has, you need to bring them here next week. Plan on overcoming all kinds of obstacles. The kids will be melting down next weekend if you need to be here. So just plan to come in a half hour early so you get here on time. Joseph, for 13 years, wanted out of Egypt. He wanted out. I want out of Egypt. I want out of Egypt. I was prayer every night. Get me out of Egypt. Get me out of Egypt. And now Joseph lands in Egypt. He learned how to let go, get out of Egypt or thrive in Egypt. And sometimes that's what God does in our lives. In verse 53, it says, the seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end. And the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph has said. There was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried out to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. Joseph is in charge. Joseph saved the day. Joseph saved these people. And as we will see in, in future chapters, Joseph saved his people as well. But he never got out of Egypt. Never gets out of Egypt. Not alive anyway. And here's the deal, guys, because we're so focused on getting out of Egypt when we find ourselves in Egypt, aren't we? We went out of Egypt, but we need to give God permission to take us from Egypt or use us in Egypt. God might have something really important for you to do in Egypt. Ephraim, his son, he named him Ephraim because God had made him fruitful in the land of his sufferings. For 13 years, I went out of Egypt, I went out of Egypt, I went out of Egypt. He names him his son, I'm okay in Egypt. He gave God permission to use him in Egypt, to bless him in Egypt. And the truth is, God will sometimes calm the storm in our lives, and sometimes he will calm us in the midst of the storm in our lives. We have to give him permission to do what he wants. For so many of us, we're just so busy pursuing happiness. Like 
the thing that we want, the thing that we pray for, is make it stop, get me there. And maybe God's up to something so much bigger than what you have in mind. But if you give him permission, he'll show up in the midst of whatever you're going through and use you there and use you to wherever he's taking you. I want to invite you guys to stand. We're going to sing. Um, we're going to sing a couple songs. We're doing service in a little bit different order this morning. And uh, the reason is I want to give us time to listen for the Spirit. As we sing these songs, sing them as songs of worship to God, but invite Him to speak to you. And there are a lot of points in this message today. But what point is God drilling into your heart? What did he say to you? And I want you to ask him as we begin to sing, Lord, speak to me and show me the thing that I need to do in response to the thing that you're pointing out in my heart today. Okay? And as we sing, worship, listen, and allow God to direct your next step. Lord God, thank you so much that in the midst of good times, in the midst of bad times, in the midst of struggle, in the midst of blessing, God, that, that you're there. You don't go away. And Lord, I pray that you would teach us to find our, our joy, our contentment, our happiness in your presence and in your purpose, not our own pursuit of happiness. God, and I know for, for each one of us, you have a purpose that, for us that's bigger than us. And I pray, God, we would open our hands and we would open our hearts and we would receive that. We would walk with you and we would allow you to do in our hearts what you need to do. So as we worship you this morning, Lord, would you, would you speak into our lives? Would you give us next steps? Would you lift our heads for those who are struggling, for those who are, are in the midst of an Egyptian prison, Lord, would you, would you give us would you give us just a taste of your presence? God, would you walk us through this to what you're preparing us for? In Jesus name. Amen. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church Podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face-to-face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.